Hello, welcome to Chaofa, a China Western Hemisphere newsletter by CPSI. This is Ethan Connect, and today's edition covers January 22nd to February 4th. Today's edition is entitled Sovereignty Violations. The title comes from Antigua and Barbuda Prime Minister Gaston Brown's speech at Hangzhou Normal University. He said, and I quote, It is evident that anyone going against the One China Principle is in effect violating the principle of sovereignty and the territorial integrity of China. Our first story this week is that Antigua and Barbuda Prime Minister Gaston Brown traveled to China to discuss economic matters with President Xi and Premier Li, as well as to open an embassy in Beijing. The two sides signed agreements on a wide range of topics, including the Belt and Road Initiative, trade, transportation, economic development, mutual visa exemptions, climate change, and an in-development cancer prevention vaccine. The Prime Minister had previously visited China, most recently in 2014, and three other Prime Ministers have made state visits to Beijing, Baldwin Spencer in 2004, Lester Byrd in 1997, and V.C. Byrd in 1983. Prime Minister Brown's comments prompted Taiwan's foreign ministry to issue a blistering response about the One China Principle. They accused the Prime Minister of, quote, falsely claiming that Taiwan was, is, and always will be a province of China, end quote. Our second story this week is that Latin American media confirmed that President Xi will visit the region this upcoming November. At a minimum, he will travel both to Peru for the APEC Leader Summit and the opening of the Port of Chiang Kai, and then to Brazil for the G20 Leader Summit. This will be President Xi's first trip to the region since the pandemic, as he most recently visited the region in 2019, when he stopped by Brasilia for the BRICS Summit. Notably, President Xi has visited most regions around the world, including Southeast Asia, the Middle East, and Eastern Europe, but he has not yet traveled to Latin America. It is possible that Xi will add another country or two on his South America trip, especially since he hasn't visited the region in a while. For example, when he visited Argentina in 2018, he popped over to Panama, And similarly, when he was last in Peru for APEC in 2016, he traveled through Chile and Ecuador. Our third story this week is that despite the recent ruling by Kenya's high court that determined that the Kenyan-led police mission to Haiti was unconstitutional, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi reportedly expressed support to Kenyan Foreign Affairs Cabinet Secretary Mudavadi for a multilateral mission to Haiti. This isn't the first time that Beijing has expressed support for the Kenyan-led mission, Though China abstained from October's UN Security Council vote on Haiti, its UN embassy issued a statement saying that the PRC, quote, appreciates Kenya's willingness to lead a multinational security support mission. Our fourth story is that China held a special dialogue under the guise of the China Select Forum on what it deemed development cooperation and knowledge exchange between China and Latin America. MOFA officials and Chinese corporate leaders engaged in the dialogue with the Nicaraguan ambassador as well as academics, journalists, and business representatives from Brazil, Mexico, and Bolivia, although the People's Daily claimed that there were other countries involved, they didn't specify which. And it's pretty clear that the only officials involved was the Nicaraguan ambassador. For context, the China Select Forum was established in 2014, and it held its first ministerial in 2015. The next China Select ministerial is expected to be hosted sometime this year, though Beijing routinely holds dialogues with various LAC leaders, under the pretense of this institution. Our final story this week is that 23 Latin American and Caribbean countries spoke up at China's UN Human Rights Review. Though many countries praised the Chinese government, some Latin countries, like Costa Rica, criticized China's human rights record and urged unfettered access for UN human rights officials. This is China's fourth human rights review at the UN. 
The Jamestown Foundation had a good review about how this year's human rights review compares to previous iterations, including some insight into how lack country statements have changed over time. I highly recommend checking it out. And finally, my takes for the week. The first thing I wanted to look into was that Panama's foreign ministry released a new white paper on its foreign policy. This was on January 31st. The white paper focused on maintaining and enhancing the country's global political and economic relevance. In the white paper, China was referenced much less than the United States, only twice compared to 16 times for the U.S. Partially, this is because of the U.S.'s historical relationship with Panama compared to the PRC. But generally, the document positions the Central American countries' interests with the PRC as merely an intermediary between U.S. and Asian economic flows rather than a very essential bilateral relationship. More specifically, the white paper notes that, quote, the trade relationship between the United States and China is one of the most robust globally, although marked by strong tensions. And they said that this affects Panama's vital role in strengthening and establishing business connections, end quote. The only reference, other reference to China in the document just recognizes that the key role the PRC's economy plays in the Panama Canal's business. The document states that, quote, trade from the United States and China dominates the canal's traffic due to the enormous size of those economies, end quote. Actually, there is one more reference to China in the paper where they mention the Panama's Chinese communities. The white paper argues that these communities enrich the nation's culture and offer a unique diplomatic advantage in engaging with Chinese communities abroad or other ethnic minorities abroad. But that really does engage with the PRC itself. That's the Chinese communities in Panama itself, which a lot of them were established before the PRC's establishment in 1949. I think that this was interesting because it shows how China's influence and important to Panama, which has only grown since the two countries established diplomatic relations in 2017, is really limited to the economic sphere compared to the political sphere. This doesn't mean that China doesn't engage with Panama on political and cultural issues. Notably, the embassy has hosted events on Chinese culture. CCP officials, party officials, not government officials, have traveled to Panama in the past year to engage with Panamanian political leaders. But the foreign ministry, at least, is seeing this relationship through an economic lens. They're not saying, we're going to achieve our political goals by allying or by pursuing political objectives with the PRC. The second story that I wanted to look into was the limits to U.S.-China competition in the developing world. This comes from a speech that National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan gave this past week. So National Security Advisor Sullivan met with the Chinese Foreign Minister, Wang Yi, in Bangkok this past week, and then afterwards, he gave remarks on U.S.-China relations to the Council on Foreign Relations. During that Q&A, he was asked about U.S.-China competition in the developing world. And I would like to note that these remarks were aimed at Africa, but I think they have broader implications for Latin America. In his remarks, uh, Sullivan acknowledged that the U.S. was worried about malign Chinese influence abroad. But he argued that we, and this is a quote from him, we cannot treat the rest of the world as proxy battlegrounds the way that I think the U.S. and the Soviet Union too often did during the Cold War. Instead, he suggested that, and this is again his quote, our view should not be, what's just the way we get a one-up? It should be, how do we actually show up and offer something that will respond to the legitimate development needs of that country? End quote. It's become popular in op-ed pages, I've noticed, especially in Latin American publications, to suggest that the United States and China are in some kind of new Cold War, and that this new Cold War is going to benefit the region through U.S.-China competition. And I think this is an interesting counter-narrative to that, coming directly from U.S. officials, 
which is saying that while the U.S. and its allies have set up new institutions and initiatives, like the U.S. Development Finance Corporation and the PGII, in response to Chinese development assistance, they're not just going to copy what the PRC is doing. They're not going to build prestige projects like El Salvador's National Library or Ecuador's Megadams. Instead, they're going to continue their existing policies of promoting development through what they see is sustainable, both for local communities, for the environment, as well as for government's budgets. So the last story I want to touch on this week is what China's potential new foreign minister means for Latin America and the Caribbean. International media has reported that Liu Jianchao, the head of the Chinese Communist Party's international department, is likely to become the PRC's next foreign minister. They're starting to get the sense because Liu most recently went on a big trip to the United States. He met with a lot of business leaders and U.S. government leaders. And apparently at the upcoming two sessions in March, he's going to be tapped for this position. Though in his current role, he's had more and more engagement with Latin America as the head of the Chinese Communist Party's international department. Generally, his career has been focused elsewhere. He started his career in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs as a translator, and he's served in senior party and government positions elsewhere. In government, he was Beijing's ambassador to both the Philippines and Indonesia. And in the party, he served as the head of the CCP's Central Commission for Discipline Inspections International Cooperation Agency. Super pithy, rolls right off the tongue with that name. In that role, he pursued what Beijing deemed as international fugitives for corruption cases. However, he has had some exposure to Latin America and the Caribbean. So when he was the foreign ministry spokesman, that was when St. Lucia flipped relations back to Taiwan. And that gave him the opportunity to call St. Lucia's actions, quote, a gross interference in China's internal affairs, end quote. He also likely interacted with the Caribbean when he was at the Central Commission for Discipline Inspection. I found an article from that time where party officials, it might have been him, it might have been someone else, was complaining that Caribbean investment immigration programs gave Chinese citizens an escape from the commission's international reach, especially in countries like St. Kitts that didn't have diplomatic relations with the PRC. And in his current role, he's really stepped up engagement with the region. Leo has met with several regional delegations as the CCP's international affairs chief. Last March, he met with a delegation from Brazil's ruling party, the Workers' Party, where the two sides exchange in-depth views on strengthening mutual learning on party and state governance and advancing the China-Brazil Comprehensive Strategic Partnership. Similarly, he's met with groups of Latin American and Caribbean ambassadors in Beijing, and he held talks with his Cuban counterpart this past fall. I haven't been able to track down whether or not he's actually traveled to Latin America and the Caribbean, but if he has, it wasn't a really big story because when you search up Google with his name, both in Chinese and in the pinyin in the Romanized characters, and then search it with a bunch of Latin American countries or the name Latin America or the Caribbean. These are really the things that come up. It's not a big trip to Brazil that was really widely published. So while it's possible that he's traveled to the region or had more engagement with the region, it's clear that Leo's outreach is a lot more limited to Latin America and the Caribbean than it is to other regions like Europe or Southeast Asia where he was an ambassador. And so while it's likely that he's somewhat knowledgeable of the PRC's links to the region, it's pretty clear that he doesn't have the same level of high fluency in the region's issues compared to, say, Southeast Asian countries' issues with China. And so I think this just indicates that, first of all, the Latin America is not the number one priority for China. It's nowhere near the top. And it's going to continue not to be in the foreign ministry, at least. When you're selecting someone who has a different background, a different focused area, focused more on Asia, focused more on party affairs, and less focused on somewhere like Latin America and the Caribbean. That's it for this week's edition of Chalfa. I hope you enjoyed it. 
If you're not already subscribed to the physical version of this newsletter that goes out about every two weeks, you can do so at cpsi.media. Thank you. Adios. Sai Jian. Have a good week. Is that...